2018. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight, along with my partner, Jim Chechesko. And Chet, it's game week for the Birds. Bring on those Atlanta Falcons. You know it, Bill. The Flyers and Sixers are both on mini win streaks. The Sixers have a game Thursday in London, which is pretty cool. Villanova is number one again in college hoops. But pretty much all anyone wants to talk about is the Eagles, and that certainly tops our agenda this evening as well. You know it, and let's get it rolling. Welcome back our resident pro football Hall of Fame expert, Ray Dittinger. Ray, welcome back. How are you doing, guys? Fantastic. Doing great. Good. Hey, Ray, uh, it, as we said, it's all everybody's talking about this week. Eagles-Falcons, 4.35 p.m. Saturday at the link with the sixth-seeded Falcons established as three-point favorites. That's pretty much unheard of. So, Ray, will the Eagles use that as a motivating tool? Oh, they already are. Um, they're already talking about it. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a great device. You know, football coaches and players have been using the no respect, uh, the, the no respect thing for years. Going, you go back to Newt Rockney that started using it back then, uh, and it and it always seems to work. You know, it, it always seems to work. And you know, this has uh, never happened before that a team that's a number one seed is uh, an underdog to a number six seed. But uh, the circumstances being what they are, I'm not surprised. I mean, I kind of thought that this is the way it would work out, but you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that's the way it's going to turn out. You know, it's it's still going to come down to who plays the game and who makes the plays. And I, and I still do believe that uh, the home field advantage is pretty important. I mean, if you go back to 1990 when the current format, current playoff format was uh, instituted, teams that uh, are coming off that have the first week by in that next round of games are 79 and 29. So uh, that's an indication that, uh, that having that by and having home field still does matter quite a bit. Just out of curiosity, Ray, if Carson Wentz were healthy and, you know, playing this game, what do you think the line would be? Seven. They, uh, uh, somebody already did the, the study of that out in Vegas uh, and, uh, and, and, did, and checked with some of the people out there that do the setting of lines um, and, and asked that very question. If Carson Wentz were playing and he were healthy, what would the line be? And uh, the answer wow. was seven points. That is wow. quite a difference. So it's a 10-point ten, ten swing, basically. Wow. Yep. Well, hey, today I saw a tweet that came from that Merle Reese I thought was interesting. I was going to share it with you guys if you haven't seen it. He says, I've been in locker rooms where you feel tension the week of a playoff game. Not here. These Eagles are focused, committed, and really having fun. They're looking forward to doing what they love to do in the glare of a national spotlight. Uh, pretty good stuff. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, the general, um, the, the players seem fine. I mean, the players, uh, the, the, the mood down there has been pretty good. Um, uh, I, th- I think the guys feel good about uh, having this game at home. Um, I mean, nobody's going to come out and say that uh, that they that they feel good about the matchup. That they don't want to make come off as if they're putting down 
the Falcons, but I think they do. I, I think this is I think this is in many ways a, a kind of a favorable matchup for uh, for the Eagles. Um, I, I thought Doug Peterson's tone at, at his press conference yesterday he he seemed a little edgy. I thought uh, he was not the usual kind of affable, chatty. Doug, that we saw during the regular season, I thought he looked a little tight uh, at the at the at the podium yesterday. Now I don't know what that means, but uh, I mean I thought uh, he looked a little he looked a little tight that he was feeling it a little bit. But the players themselves, um, I mean they seem like they're they seem like they're ready to go. I mean no this is they know this is a great opportunity for them. Uh, the the veteran players and they have a, a a fairly good number of veteran players in that locker room that have been through this before. I mean it's it's a it's a young team, but it has a very nice mix of veteran guys like Chris Long and Legarrett Blunt and Malcolm Jenkins and you know guys that have been exposed to the NFL postseason and, and know what it takes to win. And um, those guys have have made the point of telling these guys, hey, you know these opportunities are not guaranteed, and you don't know. You got one. You know, you got one now, but there's no guarantee you're going to get one the next year, or the next year, or the next year. When it's there and you've got that chance, you got to take advantage of it. And that's that's the theme that they've been harping on for the last couple of weeks. And I, I I definitely think that this team is, at least from a psychological standpoint, I think they're ready to play. Ray, since the regular season ended, a great deal of the focus, understandably, has been on Nick Foles. There are a lot of doubters out there after the way Foles looked in the last five quarters he played. But let me ask you, what do the Eagles need from Foles as he goes up against what's turned out to be a pretty decent Atlanta defense? Yeah, just uh, make the plays that are there in front of you. I mean, nobody's asking him to go out and be Carson Wentz. Nobody's asking him to go out and be Tom Brady or Ben Roethlisberger. Um, just when, you know, when the play is there to be made, make it. You know, I, I don't think anybody expects him to throw for 400 yards, but he doesn't have to. Uh, if this game sort of plays to what you would say would be form for these two teams, it probably be pretty low scoring. Uh, and the team that makes the fewest mistakes is most likely to win. So don't be the quarterback who makes the mistakes. I, I think that's kind of it. The You know, the, the difference between Nick Foles and, and Carson Wentz, I mean, it's big. I mean, nobody's going to try and tell you it's not. But it's uh, it's really a matter of, of the difference between the two guys as as athletes. I mean, there's a there's a framework for the offense, and Nick has to play within that framework. Carson Wentz doesn't have to. Carson Wentz can can do things outside the design of a play that will totally change the play, and he'll turn a broken play or what looks like a negative play into a positive play and sometimes a big play just because he's he's got that kind of ability. Well, you can't replicate that. You can't duplicate that. You just have to accept the fact that that's gone. But it doesn't mean that you can't win. So Nick just has to, you know, it's, you know I mean, Doug said it and Frank Reich said it this week both. It, uh, you know, Nick just has to go out there and be Nick, you know. And they'll design some plays and they'll draw up some plays that'll get some guys open. And there'll be some shots and there'll be some, you know, there'll be some opportunities. There'll be some open receivers. And when he's got an open receiver, he's got to find them and he's got to put the ball there. That's it's pretty much as simple as that. I, I, you know, I think the rest of the team will be fine. I think that uh, the offensive line is good and I expect them to play well. The defense has been very good, especially at home all year. I mean, been holding up visiting teams to 13 points a game. Um, special teams have been good. Uh, I mean, you just, you know, all you have to do is just, and I think Nick has said this, you know, I, I don't feel like this is all on my shoulders. If we just go out and we all do our job, we're, we'll win the football game. Ray, is there any scenario where if he's not having much success, Foles would be pulled in favor of Nate Sudfeld, even if the game were still competitive? I can't imagine it. Um, although I was on the radio today with, uh, with uh, John Ritchie, uh, and John Ritchie said, yeah, it could happen. Uh, he he uh, it, it surprised me how 
you know, I mean, he said it very almost matter-of-factly that, you know, if Nick comes out and he plays really poorly and uh, the coaches just kind of look in his eyes and don't like what they see, um, he said, I think you got to make – you know, you got to make the decision. You know, and this, you, know, you can't you can't play this game again tomorrow. You know, it's just you're going to have this one shot at it. And if if they think that you know, Nick just they don't like the way he looks and uh, things are kind of getting out of hand, that um, that he could see them pulling him and going and going with Sudfeld. I I mean I can't. I I mean short of an injury, I just can't see pulling a veteran quarterback and putting in a guy who's basically never played. I mean you almost you almost can't even count the Dallas game. Uh, to to put him in there in a playoff game and, and under that kind of pressure, I just I just don't see them doing it. I, it. I mean, it would have to take something really really extraordinary to make that happen. I think you know Nick's your guy. I think you got to be prepared to go with Nick for four quarters. Hey Ray, you mentioned Doug Peterson, and obviously uh, there's probably not a person on the planet that thought we'd be sitting here 13 and three with a bye and a home field through the playoffs. Uh, uh, how do you evaluate how this all played out, and, and how do you grade Doug's job there this year? Oh, I think he's done a remarkable job. I, I just uh, I got my ballot from the Maxwell Club just a couple of days ago uh, for the Pro Football Awards uh, this year, and uh, one of the votes was Coach of the Year, and I voted for Doug Coach of the Year. Uh, I think when you, if you look at what the expectations were for this team uh, and what they've had to overcome, I mean, that's people forget what this team's had to overcome in terms of players they lost. You know, very often teams get to the Super Bowl or they get this far, the number one seed. You know, and one of the things you always say, well, they got lucky. They they, they didn't have any injuries. Well, this team had a ton of injuries and critical injuries. Uh, and they overcame all of those. And, you know, and, and he gets tremendous credit for the work he's done with the young quarterback. And I, I don't know of anybody that thought that this team was going to win 13 games this year. So to overcome what they had to overcome, uh, also a tough schedule. I mean, the way the schedule laid out, I mean, you know, three of the first four on the road. I mean, this was not an easy road by any means. So to get to 13-3, and three, um, I, I, you know, listen, there were some good candidates out there. I mean, Mike Zimmer has had a terrific year with Minnesota. You know, Sean McVay did a great job with the Rams. You could always vote for Belichick if you chose to. I mean, there's there's a lot. Of, it's not like there weren't any other candidates. But when I had to fill out my ballot, I voted for Peterson. I I think he I think he did the best job of any of them. Ray, the Jay Ajayi factor. Ajayi had 26 carries for 130 yards, and the Dolphins come from behind, win over the Falcons in October, a few weeks before he was traded to the Eagles. How big a role on Saturday do you expect for Jay Ajayi? I think they would like to use him a lot, but. Um, I've had a feeling for a while that he's not really 100%. I, mean, I just, I mean, I've never really talked about it, and for most of the year they didn't even have him on the injury report. Now this week I see that he has appeared there. But um, he just hasn't looked like he's 100% to me, uh, almost from the time he got here. I mean, in those couple of those early games, you know, he broke through the line of scrimmage, got in the open field, and um, and, he, and he got caught from behind. And that that's not – Jay Ajayi that I remember seeing at Boise State or, you know, earlier in his career with the Dolphins. I mean, he broke through the line of scrimmage and got in the clear. He, you know, he, he took it to the house. And that was, you know, in back-to-back weeks now, he had that opportunity and he got caught from behind. And he just he just looks like there's that knee is not 100%. And I think the coaches, in the way that they've handled him and managed him uh, over the last six weeks or so, looks to me like they're being very judicious about not overworking him not, uh, you know, not pushing them too hard. I think that they wanted to try and get him as healthy as they could for the postseason. They're trying to really restrict his carries, give him, you know, work him and let him play and, 
but don't overwork him to the point where he's going to be uh, he's going to really be dragging in the postseason. So I think they did a good job there. Uh, and if he's, I, I think he will get as big a load as as he's physically able to carry. I mean, he's he's your best back right now. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And uh, this is a team that with Foles at quarterback is going to need a good strong running attack, and he's your best hope. But uh, I I really do think it's going to be a matter of how close to 100% he is physically. If he's well. If he's ready to go, yeah, he could be a huge factor because, as you pointed out, when he faced this Falcon defense earlier this year, he had a big, big game. Ray, I don't think we could talk about the Eagles without talking about the defense and the job that Jim Schwartz has done. And, you know, the defensive backs who, you know, we all sat here at the beginning of the year wondering if we had anybody that could play. Now we seem to have a whole bunch that uh, are playing pretty decent. And, you know, is that – Were they better than we thought? Is it Jim Schwartz's scheme, or is it the defensive line has just been pretty dominating? Um, Well, I think you've got to give Schwartz a lot of credit. Uh, I think he's done a really good job with the defense. And uh, some of the – you know, and the trade uh, for Ronald Darby, we didn't know that was going to happen. And you lost him for part of the season, but he's back now. Uh, I I think some of the guys in the secondary have probably played better than we thought. I mean, most of us didn't really know what to expect from, uh, from Mills. Uh, but he's, I mean, he's played very well. Uh, and uh, some of the other guys, when they've had opportunities to play, have played well. And uh, the defensive line, which we kind of pointed to and said, well, this has a chance to be the real strength of the team, has been. I mean, Cox has had a really good year. Jernigan has proven to be a really good addition. I mean, they, they, I think they might be the best tackle pairing in the league right now. Uh, Graham has played well. And uh, Vinnie Curry has actually uh, this year played the run better than he's played it in the past. So, yeah, I, I think a lot of these guys on defense had very good years. Michael Kendricks, who, you know, you know, a lot of people, including myself, had kind of written off and thought he might not even be on the roster, has played the whole season and played really well. So, yeah, I, I, my, the defense has, has been really good. I mean, they're number one against the run. Uh, they've had a very high number of takeaways. They've got almost twice as many takeaways this year as what the Falcons do. Uh, so they've been they've been very good. Uh, and that's that's the big hope for this team right now is if they're going to win in the postseason, you know they're not going to win the way they were winning in the regular season with Carson Wentz, you know winning games you know, by three or four touchdowns, and it's not going to be that easy now. I mean they're going to they're not going to be able to hope to win in a shootout. I mean they're going to have to the defense is going to have to keep the score down and give the offense the best possible chance to win a you know twenty seventeen ish kind of game. I think it was, that's what it's going to be like the rest of the way. Yeah, that leads me to my final question on the Eagles-Falcons game. Just uh, give me a summary, Ray. Sum it up. Finish this sentence. To beat the Falcons, the Eagles have to? Um, I don't want to say play a perfect game because that's overstating it. Um, they, have to, they have to win. They have to win the giveaway takeaway. They have to be plus on the turnover ratio. Uh, and... Uh, they have to get they have to get a big play either on defense or special teams. One either defense or special teams has to either get them a touchdown or get them in a field position that sets up the offense for an easy touchdown. Uh I, I think they need that. They can't the way this offense is right now, um they can't you know, they can't put together five seventy yard drives. They're just not built to do that. Not against this defense, they're not. So they're going to need the uh, the defense and the special teams to give them a couple chippies that uh, that'll help them out and, and score some points. Sounds good. 
Well, hey, Ray, switching up on you for just a minute, I think we had you on pretty much this same week last year, and we had a bit of this same conversation in regards to the Hall of Fame. Brian Dawkins is back up, Terrell Owens is back up, and our man Jerry Kramer is back up. Uh, what are the chances you see of those three getting in? It's a strong, strong list of candidates. Yeah, it always is, and it should be. I mean, it is, the, you know, it's the finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, so um, – you've got to figure you're going to be judging the best of the best here. Um, I, I do think, and I'm happy to say it, I do think this is going to be finally the year for Jerry Kramer. Uh, I mean, it's, it, I mean, this should have happened not just years, but decades ago for him. Uh, but I, you know, this is the third time he's been up as the senior nominee. Uh, and it, that should never have happened. I mean, the guys who are senior nominees, it's almost automatic that it, it's so hard to get, to be that guy, I mean, you, you have to be—you have to basically win two elections. You have to be the guy picked out of the the whole pool of seniors uh, and then put on the ballot, and then you have to be voted on yet again. So, a, a guy that is the senior nominee, I think, is in my view, it's almost automatic. A guy that gets gets that has waited that long and worked that hard to get that opportunity. I mean, you, pretty much, I think you just put him in. And in fact, Jerry was up twice and didn't get it either time. I, uh, was shocking to me, and I think kind of almost disgraceful. But um, now that he's back again, uh, I, I can't imagine that they're going to say no for a third time. So I think, so I think Jerry goes in, and, and rightly so. I mean, that should have happened long, long ago. Um, Doc and T.O. are – I don't know. I, I just don't know what to say. I, I mean, to me, they both belong in. If I was still voting, I would vote for them both. Um, I think I think Brian. It's it's to me it's very obvious. I mean, he was the best safety in the league in the time that he played. Uh, I think he, in many ways, changed the position. Uh, he made the he made safety position really an impact position on defense, which it wasn't before. Uh, and I think he sort of blazed the blazed the trail for guys like Palomalu and Ed Reed, who came along, uh, basically kind of borrowed you know, sort of copied the Dawkins playbook in terms of being able to be versatile and being able to blitz and being able to cover man defense and uh, I mean, all the kinds of things that safeties had never been asked to do before that Brian Dawkins did. I mean, it really changed the way the whole position was coached, the way it was scouted, the way guys were evaluated. I mean, he was, he was a transform. you know, Brian to me was a very transformative player. Uh, and uh, I, I think he should have been a first ballot guy. He wasn't. But uh, I, I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of optimistic that I think he might get in this year. The one the one question that I have is is not about the merits of his candidacy because I think that's obvious enough. But the fact that there's another guy still on the ballot who's another really good safety, and that's John Lynch. And sometimes the voters, you know, they they have this almost quota system that you know they'll put put in, you know they don't want to put in multiple guys at one position. So if they decide that you know Lynch has been on the ballot longer than Doc. I mean, uh, I would say that uh, John has been on there maybe four times. They may have this of the mind to say, well, you know, he's been waiting longer, so he he should go in. I think that, look, I think they both belong, but if I if I could only vote for one, uh, I would vote for Doc. Now, with T.O., I can tell you there's a lot of guys in that room that are, that are very strongly anti-Owens, uh, and uh, they don't like him. Uh, they think he was a disruptive player. They think he was a team wrecker, uh, and and are not not you know and, not, and are not shy about saying it. Uh, and uh, and they're 
it doesn't take that many guys to to block you. I mean, if, in that room, if you got to get 80% of the vote, and it doesn't take that many votes to block you. And I know there are some guys that are pretty adamant about uh, they don't want to put them in the Hall of Fame. So I don't really understand it. I mean, I, I know that T.O. had his issues, but he was a guy that, from what I could tell, uh, he was a guy that always played hard. Uh, he was a guy that gave you everything he had. He practiced hard. Uh, and he played well in big games. And uh, and you look at his numbers. I mean, they're absolutely Hall of Fame numbers. So for all of you know, for all of the blemishes and all of the warts that you can point to, the overriding fact is he's one of the great receivers in the modern era, and he belongs in the Hall of Fame. It'll be very interesting to see what happens this year because Randy Moss now joins him on the ballot. And Randy Moss is a very similar case. I mean, their numbers are very similar. And uh, a lot of the baggage for the two guys is also very similar. You know, they were both guys that were seen as sort of bad teammates and moody and hard to coach and disruptive. The difference between them, though, was that I've never seen T.O. quit on his team. I've never seen T.O. loaf. I I never saw him be a guy that uh, sort of on a play wouldn't even bother coming off the line of scrimmage if the play wasn't designed for him. You know, T.O., you know, he could be a rockhead a lot of times, but he played hard. You can't always say that about Randy. Uh, so I think it would be very surprising, given what the people think about T.O., that they would put Randy in in his first year and leave T.O. on the outside. That's going to be a real – that's going to be a tough one for the Hall of Fame voters to sort out. I mean, to me, they both – just on the merits of their statistics, they should both be in. Uh, but the other stuff that these guys that these guys are weighing – Frankly, I don't really understand it, but I, I know there's some guys in there that feel very strongly about it. Ray, I have two final things for you. First of all, I wanted to sneak this in because I know you have a sense of humor about yourself, and we had your pal Glenn Mack now on in early November, and he played a game of Fast Five with me, and the final question for Glenn was this one. Regarding your radio partner, Ray Dinger, Glenn, what is more likely to happen in the next few years? Ray drinks a beer or Ray buys a smartphone? <laughs> Wow. Ray puts on a pair of shorts because none of those three things will ever happen. That was my third one, honest to God. Man does not own a pair of shorts or a bathing suit. He goes on a cruise. Like every year he goes on a cruise. No shorts, no bathing suit, khaki pants on a cruise. (laughs) And no cell phones. (laughs) But I love the guy. (laughs) Just thought you'd enjoy that one, Ray. I like that very much. Well, Glenn, we've worked together. We've worked together long enough that he he knows me very well. So, and, and everything he said there is 100% accurate. <laughs> now, Ray, there's one more thing. Uh, we love having you on all the time because you have so many terrific stories. You told us in the past about how Tommy and me came to be. You told us about your unexpected one-on-one sit-down with Muhammad Ali and so many other great moments. So with that in mind, I want to debut a new segment called Ray, Tell Us a Story. And for the first installment, Ray, please tell us about that time back in the day, not necessarily wisely, you rejected an overture from that uptown girl, Christy Brinkley. Oh, yeah, well, that was – um, that 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 story, as, as many stories do in their retelling, has become greatly exaggerated. I, I don't think uh, a- Angelo, Angelo Angelo likes that story, and he keeps repeating it. And every time he repeats it, it gets a little grander. But it was it was it was very it was very innocent. Actually, it was I was I was down covering the uh, Roberto Duran uh, Sugar Ray Leonard uh, 
rematch. It was it was it was Leonard Duran number two, and it was in New Orleans. And I was down there in New Orleans and covering one of the. It was a Duran workout, and uh, Christy Brinkley was there, and she had been brought in by uh, Don King, the promoter, uh, to be part of the event. Uh, he he brought her down there to be a photographer at the event. Um, and I don't know if if Christy knew which end of the camera was up, but she was, uh, but you know she was there and she was at the workout and she was taking pictures and everything. And there were a whole group of sports writers there, maybe about twenty of us at the Duran workout. And for whatever reason, she came over and struck up a conversation with me and started talking about the fact that she had never been to a a fight before and didn't really know much about either of the two guys. And then she said, "Well, what can you tell me about?" this guy here and so i you know i told her you know the whole story roberto duran grew up in panama kid on the streets blah 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 uh you know hands of stone i went through the whole thing and she's listening nodding her head looking very interested and when it was all over with uh she said this is all very interesting she said i really want to learn as much as i can why don't you and i why don't you and i go and have lunch together uh and you can and you can tell me you can fill me in on some more things uh and uh (laughs) Unfortunately, I was on deadline that day. I had a, I had a file. I had to file a, um, a a big Roberto Duran profile, uh, and it had to be because it was going to be a sort of a longer story. Uh, it had to be in early in the day. I had to have it filed. I have it in by one o'clock in the afternoon, back in Philly time. Uh, so I uh, <laughs> I had to say I'm I'm sorry. I'd love to have lunch with you, but I can't. I have to work. Uh, and it was uh, she looked as I. I I, I really do think it was the first time in her life that a man had ever said no to her, which I which I fully understand. And and of God, of all people, it was me. Uh, but that's but that's really what it was. And I I, and I was that was the truth. I mean, I had, I had no time. I mean, after, after that workout, I had to dash back to my room at the uh, at the Hyatt and pound out a you know 35 inch you know 3,000 word profile of Roberto Duran and have it into the desk by one o'clock. So I didn't have any time to go to lunch with anybody. You know, even Christy Brinkley. Oh, right. And we should point wow. out you were single at the time. You were single at the time, I, correct? That is correct. I was. Oh, right. Ray, it might have been worth putting the job at risk for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I, you know, looking back at the other part of the story is I, I, is the story turned out to be, you know, sort of an embarrassment because I wrote this whole story about, you know, Roberto Duran being, you know, the ultimate warrior and, you know, ferocious and all that kind of stuff. It turns out to be it's the fight that he quits. <laughs> so, even, so even the story, even even the final product kind of rang hollow. That was that turned out to wow. be the, that was the, that was the night of no mas. Wow, That's a great story though. Great story. It Thanks, is a great Ray. story. Well, well, Ray. Hey, on uh, as we wrap up, do you have a, uh, a prediction for this sun or Saturday? How, how do you like the Eagles in this one? I'm still working it out, Bill. Uh, I've I've really gone back and forth on it a number of times. Um, I know tomorrow I have to go on with Angelo at, at eight in the morning, and I know he's going to absolutely pin me down for one. I mean, he oh, doesn't yeah. let me out the door unless I give him one. Uh, but I, I, at this at this moment, I'm still I'm still wrestling with it. I. Um, uh, it's it's interesting because the Falcons are such a different team than the Falcons of a year ago. I mean that that team was just an offensive machine. I mean 540 points and I mean they were really good offensively. This year they're a team that's really they're winning with their defense, uh, and that was clearly how they beat the Rams out in Los Angeles. I mean they you know the Rams are the highest scoring team in football this year, and the Falcons went out there and shut them down. Uh, and the more I look at this defense, the more impressed I am. I mean they're not big. Uh, but boy, they're fast, and the, and that secondary can really cover. 
You know, the Eagles, I mean, Nick Foles is going to have to be really fine on Saturday because if you make any kind of a mistake, these guys are going to make you pay for it. So um, I do think, you know, I do think the Eagles, I'm not nearly as fatalistic as a lot of fans who already think this game's lost. You know, there are ways the Eagles can win this game. Uh, and in some, in some areas, the Eagles actually have some advantages. But they're going to have to play pretty close to perfect. They're not going to be able to overcome a lot of mistakes. They're going to have to, you know, cut down on the penalties. They're going to have to avoid negative plays can't turn the ball over and are going to have to be really good on special teams. But uh, I, I, think it's going to, I think it's going to be a fun game to watch. I think from an X's and O's standpoint, if you're into the X's and O's of football, I think from a strategic standpoint, this is going to be fun to watch because the coaches are going to have to push the right buttons. It's going to be about the players, but the coaches are going to have a lot to say about who wins this game too. Can't wait. Fantastic. All right, Ray. Well, hey, we appreciate you joining us, and uh, go Birds. All right. It's always a pleasure talking to you guys. You Thank too. you, Ray. Take care. All right. Take care, Chad. Take care, Bill. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks. Hey, do you want a great place to grab some food or have a couple of beers with your pals? I have just the place. It's the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorn over in Bucks County. The Irish Rover has a terrific atmosphere, daily food and drink specials, a nice spacious dining area, extensive beer list, and menu items from burgers and gourmet wings to filet mignon. Lots of big screen TVs, too, to watch all those postseason football games. And you can pre-order wings or just about anything else from the Irish Rover for your Super Bowl party. Call 267-560-4240 or visit their website, irishroverstationhouse.com. The Irish Rover Station House on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorn. And, hey, we have more Eagles-Falcons talk just ahead. But first, let's hear from Jay Ajayi on whether he's ready for a bigger workload in the playoffs. You know, I'll be ready for it. That's what I've been preparing myself for. Basically, we're getting ready for war out there, three-game season, leave it all out on the line. Let's go to war, Bill. Well, you know, Chet, we've we've heard from Mark Eckel last week. We've heard from Ray now. We've heard from Jay Jay. We've heard from Merle Reese. Uh, but there's another side to these playoffs, and this week it's the defending NFC champion Atlanta Falcons. Uh, they're excited in Atlanta, of course, after that nice upset win on the road in L.A. against the Rams. And you had a chance this week to sit down with former Villanova Wildcat and, and Eagle uh, player Brian Finneran who's now, we've had Brian uh, on with us before. He's a top sports radio guy in Atlanta. What did Brian have to say about this game? Well, Brian was only an Eagle for about a half season. He went on to have a pretty good career as a Falcons receiver, you'll remember. He caught 236 passes over nine seasons for the Falcons. So you can guess which way he's leaning in this battle of the birds. But he did give me some good insight into the Falcons, and he believes they are fairly close to becoming the team that went to Super Bowl 51 a year ago. So here it is, my talk with Brian. We talked to this guy 11 months ago right before the Super Bowl, and now he's back to talk Falcons-Eagles. He's a former Villanova All-American, an ex-Eagle, and a longtime receiver for the Atlanta Falcons, now doing sports talk radio down in Atlanta. Brian Fitterman, welcome back. Thank you so much. Happy to be a part of the show again. Hey, Brian, as you're well aware, the Falcons had that devastating overtime Super Bowl 51 loss to the Patriots and got off to a ho-hum 4-4 four and four start to the 2017 season. But they've played pretty well since then, winning six of their last eight regular season games and the wild card win over the Rams in L.A. this past Saturday. Are the Falcons finally getting back to being more of the team that was so good a year ago? They were so close all year long. They just were. That 4-4 four and four mark, I know they snuck one out against Chicago and 
barely got by in Detroit. But the other games that they played and lost, I mean, they were in them. They had silly penalties that cost them turnovers, silly penalties that cost them field possession. They had bad drops uh, during that eight-game stretch where it seemed like every time somebody dropped a football, uh, it got intercepted. So it was just a mixture of a little bit undisciplined, dumb football and mistake-prone type stuff that if you watched the team closely, you knew they had all the ingredients. It was pretty much the same team from the Super Bowl, so you knew they were going to be a good squad, but things weren't quite bouncing their way. So they finally got it going. They turned it around, and it's funny to say, but this team is really being led by the defensive side of the ball right now. Yeah, I was really impressed by the Falcons' D in the wild card win, particularly linebacker Deion Jones and the cornerbacks. Robert Alford had a terrific game on Saturday. He really did. Both those guys, I was kind of charting the game and taking notes as I was watching it when they were out in L.A. playing the Rams. And it's like every series it felt like when Goff dropped back to throw the ball, either Trufant or Alford, our two corners, had a hand on the football. Pass deflections were huge. It must have been five or six between those two guys. And then, you know what kind of set the tone early? Keanu Neal in the very first carry by Todd Gurley just hammered him right at the line of scrimmage, sent him sideways about three yards. And I thought to myself, all right, these guys are not, are not messing around. They know they got to stop Todd Gurley and get going. But I think you nailed it. When you can – be as good as they were on the corners, in the cornerback position, it gives your defense and linebackers a chance to fly around and make some plays. Hey, the Falcons are 1-5 and five at Lincoln Financial Field since it opened in 2003. Matt Ryan had one very good game at the link, but a few not-so-great ones. Now, Matt, of course, is from Exton and Penn Charter. Is there added pressure when going back to your hometown area to play? Sure. Uh, I haven't been a Philadelphia Eagle like I was for part of a season. And going back there, there's always that pressure you put on yourself to go show out and make, prove them wrong for letting you go or whatever it is. And, and Matt's a little bit different. I think having played there a few times already, I think it'll be behind him. But being a 10-year vet, Matt Ryan understands pressure and when to put it on himself and when not to. The fact that he's going back to Philadelphia, the biggest thing he's going to have to worry about is how many tickets he's going to have to get for his family. Yeah. Beyond that, it's another football game in a loud environment. Yep. And, of course, Ryan has some pretty good weapons. Tell us about those receivers and running backs. Yeah, Devontae Freeman is where this team's kind of – had his bread and butter this year. I think when he has, I can't remember the number, maybe between him and Coleman, 25 touches, this team is undefeated. So they've done a really good job featuring themselves in that regard. Dominated time of possession with the run game last week. And then when you talk about the receiver core, it starts with Julio Jones. Almost every defensive coordinator focuses on Julio like they should. Double team, rolling coverages, two-man. Do you, do you bump in the line of scrimmage and keep a safety over the top? And the answer is yes, because if you don't, He's going to make you pay for it. And then I love the kind of supplemental role players. Muhammad Sanu had himself a year this year, over 60 catches, five or six touchdowns, and a nice job on third-down conversion. And then Austin Hooper, early on, had two huge third-down catches in L.A. against the Rams. So they're all very capable. And then you throw in Taylor Gabriel, who's a speedster, they got the weapons. Now it's a matter of just going out there and making plays as football team's capable of. Brian, you played with Matt Ryan. You also played with the Falcons kicker, Matt Bryant who didn't make it to the NFL till age 27, but here he is 15 years later, still going strong at age 42, four field goals and the win over the Rams. Clearly, Matt Bryant is still a key guy for the Falcons. He is the MVP of this football team this year. It's a team that struggled offensively to score touchdowns. I think that's two weeks in a row where he's had four field goals. Uh, the last game of the regular season against Carolina, he might have five. And then in the wild card game, against the Rams comes up huge, I think a 55-yarder. Matt's a good friend. I text him and tweet him every time he kicks a field goal over 50 yards. I said, Matt Bryant looks like he kicked his age again, and uh, that 55-yarder was, was money. He's only 42, 
but it feels like he's been doing it forever. And he has absolutely been one of the key players. And you don't say very often when you talk about the NFL and the kicking game, but he has been money this year. Awesome to watch. Yep. Hey, when the Falcons lost to the Dolphins back in October, Jay Ajayi ran for 130 yards against the Falcons' defense. Of course, Ajayi is now an Eagle, so do you expect to see him getting the heavy workload this Saturday? It'll be interesting. They've done. They've been kind of funky with their running back lineups. Doug Peterson up there at the Eagles. I, I still think with Garrett Blunt coming downhill, is tough to deal with, so they'll feature him as well. But Ajayi gives you a little bit more movement and athleticism so i think a healthy dose of both those guys i think i read a stat this morning about time of possession doug peterson with that west coast offense a little dink and dunk football short patterns and then get the run game riled up and they have had success with that yes indeed hey as you're probably aware brian the falcons despite being a sixth seed and playing on the road opened as a two and a half point favorite to beat the eagles that's largely due to the fact that backup nick Foles is the eagles quarterback now rather than the injured carson wentz what's your impression of nick Foles? nick Foles had an unbelievable year i think it was chip kelly where he just figured out where the passing needed to go and got out of his hand quickly throws a catchable football tall long lean kind of quarterback not super mobile but not going to get killed in the pocket if he has a chance to scramble slightly I think he can but also very few playoff starts in that environment that pressure that he may put on himself to try to be successful he may try to force the ball every once in a while and then live bullets in the postseason become a little bit more hairy they really do and everything gets ramped up crowd noise not necessarily for Nick because it'll be quiet in the link the energy and excitement of that game it's a quarterback driven league so it'll come down to what he's capable of doing with the ball in his hand. If he can protect it, the Eagles have a good chance of pulling out a win. Hey, you work down in Atlanta's 680 The Fan with a Philly guy, John Kincaid from Cardinal O'Hara and Temple. And he's an occasional visitor to one of the Philly sports talk radio stations where last week and again Monday morning, he all but guaranteed that the Eagles would beat the Falcons, noting that Dan Quinn is an awful game manager. How do you guys put up with him down there? It's very difficult. It is as hard as a uh, thing I've had to do in really my entire life, and I've done a lot of hard things. At times obnoxious, at times over the top. (laughs) Last week, kept throwing stats at us about the Rams and how many points they score, and if the Falcons don't score 27, there's no shot they're going to win. Blah, 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 blah. They scored 26 (laughs) and won. And I sent him a tweet. I said, hey, John, it's crazy. We only scored 26, but we still won. Does that count? So, listen, everybody knows Kincaid. Bit of a loudmouth Philly guy, but um, he's got passion for his squad and uh, and loves his team. That's what Philadelphia is all about. And we don't necessarily claim him down here in Atlanta. You guys can claim him all you want up there in Philadelphia. But he's a good teammate. He's a good teammate down here. And actually showed me the ropes and took me under his wing as far as the radio broadcasting profession is concerned. So I'm very thankful to him. But I'm not afraid to hammer him if I need to if he starts talking trash in my Falcons. I got you. And finally, Brian, would you care to make a prediction yourself on the Falcons-Eagles game? Sure. I like the Falcons. 37 minutes time of possession Saturday night in L.A. Really good defensive line in L.A. Really good defensive line in Philadelphia. Our offensive line struggled a little bit, but Matt is doing such a good job staying poised and controlling the football and not turning it over. I think Matt Ryan finds another couple of gems, finds some receivers down the field. They figure out a way to win 27-23, something like that. All right, we shall see. Brian, thanks for doing this on short notice. Good luck to the Falcons, and thanks for visiting Philly Press Box Radio again. Thank you for having me. Have a good one. Well, Chad, hey, good stuff, uh, all except good luck to the Falcons. I didn't much like that little closeout. Yeah, you know, had to be nice to the guy. <laughs> hey, you know, uh, one thing I I take from that, several several good things I take from that, but uh, 
you can hear it in his voice that he feels the excitement for the Atlanta Falcons. And uh, I think what I take away from that is don't, if you're an Eagles fan, don't come up here and think they're going to lay down and die. Oh, no, we know that. Even though they haven't played all that well in Philadelphia over the years, I think Ryan is just one and three in his uh, starts in Philadelphia. In fact, the one game he won, I was there. Uh, so it's good to know that I will not be there this weekend. Um, yeah, he has struggled in his trips back to Philadelphia. And I think it's going to be a great game. I think it may be, end up being the best game of the divisional round weekend. Yeah, what, what's, the, uh, what's the weather forecast for Saturday afternoon? I believe it's going to rain a lot Friday night into Saturday morning, but then stop by mid-afternoon Saturday. That's what I heard from uh, one of the channels uh, earlier this afternoon in Philly. So it should be relatively dry and pretty warm, up to uh, close to 50 degrees, so upper 40s to maybe 50 on Saturday. So uh, it's going to be relatively warm for a mid-January game. Well, that and that to me, that's good. That balances things out a little bit instead of those uh, anomalies I've been talking about the last couple of weeks. When you're trying to Nick Foles trying to throw the football in zero degree weather, I think this is uh, that's a bit of a neutralizer, and uh, I think it's it, that's advantage Eagles in my book. Well, they might want it a little bit colder than you know 45 or 48 degrees, but. Hey, we'll take it. And uh, I pity any player who has to try to throw a football when it's you know ten or fifteen degrees. That that cannot be easy. No, and, and catching it and everything else to do with it, it's it's not easy. Yeah. Wait, Chad, I'm going to tell you tell you the truth about the wild card weekend. It did not really do too much for me. You know, until until the Saints came around, who played really well. Uh, it was a weekend of sloppy football and again some very average officiating. Well, I didn't watch one second of the Bills-Jags game. I don't think I missed a whole lot there. But I did watch the majority of the other three games. Yeah, not always great, but there was some drama, certainly, to both of the NFC games. And we saw an Andy Reid team blow another second-half lead in the playoff game. Shocking. Yeah, well, you know, I didn't watch uh, much of that Bills-Jaguars game either, although it was on. Uh, you know, I kept walking by, you know, as as I was doing my things. Uh, but Mike Pereira, as you know, is the former head referee, head of referees, and he came out and said the league owes the teams and the fans a better job than what those guys did. Um, that's not good. That was the opening game of the of the wild card series. <laughs> yeah. Well, officiating has been a question mark all season, and you know, I wanted to talk to Ray. We didn't get to uh, ask, but I at some point I want to talk to him about the whole is it a catch thing because. They have got to do something about that because every game there's one or two plays where they're showing a replay, you know, five and six times and can't figure out whether it should be considered a catch or not. They've got to do something about that. Well, yeah, and and, uh, kind of quick here, uh, one of the comments that's been coming out a lot that I've been reading this week is that, you know, the, the people are starting to defend the refs on the field and they're saying that the rule book is so convoluted and so difficult to deal with that the refs can only do so much because even the replay refs can't get it right. And the, and the guys on the field yep. are trying to do it with bare eyes at full speed. And, you know, you can't expect them to do stuff that these guys can't get right in three minutes looking at it a hundred different angles. You know it. They've got to fix work it. on that. Yep. You bet. Wait, with that said, Chet, we've reached this point in the playoffs, I think, that you and I probably need to make some predictions just because we have a lot of fun with that. So let's do this thing. 
kind of game by game, and uh, we'll have a little contest as we, we finish this out. How's that sound to you? Sounds good. All right, well, let's start out with Saturday. Uh, we'll skip over the Eagles until the end, but we have the Tennessee Titans and the New England Patriots. Patriots minus 13 in this one. Boy, that's a lot of points. Yeah, no, we're just picking the game even up, so uh, I can't see any way the Patriots lose this game. I know there's some you know drama regarding Belichick maybe looking to get out, but I don't care. There's no way they're losing to Tennessee. That should be an easy one. I would even take them to cover the 13. Patriots all the way. Yeah, you know what? I'll even go fake news on that. That's just somebody making stuff up, just trying to <laughs> sell something. Could be. All right, how Could about be. how about Sunday, Jacksonville at Pittsburgh, Steelers minus seven. Yeah, that's kind of a weird line. I mean, considering that Jacksonville beat them in Pittsburgh, what was it, thirty to nine or something like that, back in, back in early mm-hmm. October. Um, I mean, Jacksonville has a pretty good defense, and that is a pretty big line, even though it is in Pittsburgh. I'm going to say the Steelers win the game, but Jacksonville covers. Yeah, I'm going to take the Steelers just because I'm not going to go against Roethlisberger. But Jacksonville is a pretty good team, and they do play good defense. I know Paul Pozlosny got hurt in that game last week and was out, missed a good portion of it. I don't know if he's back. He's certainly certainly a key player on that Jacksonville defense. But I think if you look at uh, the play of Blake Bortles, the play of Ben Roethlisberger, you got to go Roethlisberger. So, I'm yep. going Steelers. So that brings us uh, to the late game. We have New Orleans at Minnesota. Vikings minus four and a half. This could be a real good one, too. And I have a hunch that you and I may differ on this one. We'll, we shall see. Um, New Orleans held on, got that all-important win this past weekend. Minnesota, like the Eagles, had a bye they're at home. The Vikings, even though they have Case Keenum at quarterback, he's gotten the job done all year. I'm taking Minnesota. I don't know about the point spread, you know, four and a half, but I think the Vikings win this game even up. Well, we are going to differ on this because I'm going to stick with Drew Brees, and uh, I think the Saints played really well. The uh, The Vikings have a really good defense, though, and uh, Brees is going to have his hands full, but they got a couple running backs that can, can carry the ball as well, and uh, – they're pretty balanced offense. I'm going to go New Orleans in this and uh, to win. Yeah, won't surprise so me if that happens. That's the big one. Atlanta at yep. Philly, Falcons minus three. I know who we're taking in this one. Look, I was a Nick Foles supporter from the beginning of his time here when Andy Reid drafted him. And while he's had an up-and-down career, I know he's better than what we saw over the five quarters he played against the Raiders and Cowboys. I'm going to bet that he plays better and that the Eagles' defense steps up to the task. Keep in mind, the Eagles' D hasn't given up more than 16 points in, what, a year and a half or something like that at home? I think the Eagles pull this one out. Maybe they give up a little more than that this time. I'm going to say 24-20. I don't know how the Eagles are getting to 24. It might take a defensive turnover and a pick six or whatever. Um, But that is my prediction, 24-20 Eagles. All right. Well, I'm going to go Eagles, too, and I think the Eagles are going to play solid defense as well. I think they're going to run the ball. I think Nick Foles is going to make plays. Uh, They certainly have to keep them clean. Um, and they've got to rush Matt Ryan. I think the difference in the game is if the Atlanta game plan is to get rid of the ball quickly like Eli Manning did, he can cause them fits. If he decides he's going to go in his drop, regular drop, and uh, Cox and Jernigan and them boys and Graham can can pressure him, I think that's advantage Eagles. Uh, I'm going 27-17 Eagles. I, I kind of like them in this game. 
27-17. So let's see. You liked them by 10. I picked them 24 to 20. Reuben Frank picked them 20 to 17. That sounds to me like... Don't worry about a thing. got this one, Bill. Yes. We got this one. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> well, hey, Chet, moving on to a different subject, but awful good football. Did you stay up until 1230 a.m. to watch the overtime finish of that fantastic college football championship game won by Alabama over Georgia? What a game that was. Well, you know, I've actually been under the weather for the past eight or nine days, and the worst of it was Sunday through Tuesday for me. I was hurting, and I loaded up on cold medicine, which pretty much wiped me out. So I actually went to sleep at halftime Monday night, knowing full well at the time that because of that, there would probably be some kind of a memorable finish to the game. And, of course, that's exactly what happened. I did watch the full highlights the following morning, but I didn't see it live, no. Congrats, though, to Bama on a thrilling victory, the championship, and another title for Mr. Personality, Nick Saban. Well, I'll tell you what, it, it was something. And uh, as we were just talking with Ray, I was thinking, you know, when we were talking about pulling Nick Foles, you know, yep. uh, Nick Saban did exactly that. He put a, a true freshman quarterback in there that had not played a meaningful down all season long. And I had the, the kid lead him to the national championship. I was going to interrupt Ray and mention that to him, and uh, I didn't. But, yeah, and – for extra credit, what's that quarterback's name? Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I heard it like 15 times, and even though I heard I can't remember, it's Tua, Tua Longer, I don't know, something. Yeah, Tua, Tua Longer, I think. But uh, yeah. Tyree, Pretty is good, Tyree, though, for a freshman. Something like that. But, Pretty good for uh, yeah, a freshman. Yeah, and by the way, came from the same high school as that Marcus Mariota out in Hawaii. Ah, did not know that. How about that? Yep, so true freshman, uh, and he threw the ball, the game-winning touchdown, to a true true freshman wide receiver while he had a true freshman at running back. So uh, the the cupboard is full in uh, Tuscaloosa. Yeah, sounds that way. All right. Well, hey, Chad, let's take a minute to thank everyone that visits our website, phillypressboxradio.com. We can't thank all of you enough. For those that aren't familiar, you can listen to all of our shows through the site. You can keep it updated uh, with our current Philly sports articles and some we write. We post videos of interviews with our guests as well. You can click on all of our sponsor links to go to their websites. And that's all just on the cover page, Jed. We have links page to many of our guest pages and sites. And even a fun photo page with Mr. Selfie himself, Jim Kichesko, that's in there quite a bit, uh, along with many other Philly sports celebrities. So thanks again to all of you that visit. And to those of you that haven't, it's phillypressboxradio.com. And we've got to update some of those photos. We have a lot more great ones from the past year, including our June 2017 trip to Jaworski's Downingtown Country Club for the annual Dick Vermeil golf event. So we haven't updated those pics in a while. We've got to get on that. We can do it. We've got the technology now, my man. We do. Wait, we the Flyers went into the bye week hot. They're one point out of the final playoff spot with two games in hand. So they're they're coming around. Uh, but we're going to skip over them this week since they're on the bye week. And uh, what about the Sixers? Sixers are playing good wait, ball. They're wait, 19 wait, and Bill, 19. Wait, what? Did you say Sixers, Bill? Before we go any further, because you just said Sixers, I'm going to interrupt you because we got some special music for our 76ers this week. Uh-oh. 
Chet, they're 19 and 19, one game out of the last playoff spot, and that's only because they played two less games. The team ahead of them is 21 and 19. Sixers are 19 and 19. Markel Fultz is rehabbing and looking close to returning. Do you see him helping this team in the second half? And uh, again, I know you you thought they were going to be second half strong. Are you staying with that? I'm sticking with it, and yeah, I do think Fultz is going to help. I mean, assuming that he is healthy and he has his uh, shooting technique the way it should be because it was really messed up when he was guard, or, uh, having that shoulder issue. So hopefully he's getting back to the guy who played at Washington last year, a pretty good shooter out there. Uh, he will contribute. Got to keep him beat healthy, of course. Got to keep Simmons on track. Um, I like what they're doing. I mean, 19 and 19, as we said, I think that's a little ahead of where I would have had them at this point, and I do think they're going to get better. Remember last year in January, they went 10 and 5. I see no reason why they can't go, you know, 10 and 5 or something similar this year, um, given the fact that they now have Simmons, and Bede seems to be, you know, able to play a little longer now. So I think all signs are pointing up. Well, there was uh, some push this week, and uh, I actually posted an article on the website the other day uh, trying to push for Ben Simmons to be an all-star. How, how do you see that? You know, he's had, he's had, he kind of had a lull there for uh, some of those games in the first half. Well, keep in mind, I mean, they've played 38 games now, and that's uh, pretty much a full college season, and they only had the one full college season. So I think he's hitting something of a wall at this point. So I wouldn't care if he didn't make the all-star game. It would be a nice honor, but it would also be nice to take, you know, a five-day break. I mean, he's he got one right now because they haven't played since, what, last Friday, and they're going to London. They're in London, I guess, today for the Thursday game. So a little break right here. But I wouldn't care if he didn't make the all-star team. So no big deal if he doesn't. Well, it uh, it would be interesting to see if he's got one of those contract clauses where he gets a whole more another ton of money if he does make the All Star team, because uh, then obviously it'd be it'd be important to him. Yeah, yeah, money's nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, think. Well, we'll we'll see. Uh, be something to keep an eye on moving moving forward. It's uh, it's not going to be long, and those All Star teams will be announced, and certainly Joel Embiid's going to be on there, but uh, he needs five days off too. Yeah, he really does, and he's talking about being ready to play back-to-back games around February 1st, so we'll see if that actually happens. I'll believe that when I see it. Yeah, for sure. Well, and and even if he thinks he's ready, that doesn't mean the brass is going to be ready for him to do that. So, yeah, (laughs) you know, especially especially if they're close to to being able to make that seventh or eighth seed, uh, you know, they may sacrifice a game for for later, uh, but we'll see. We'll see how that goes. It's going to be fun, I think. Oh, yeah. Looking forward to it. Well, hey, Chet, Mark Eckel, Ray Dittinger, Brian Finneran. Who's coming to Philly Press Box Radio next week? You got them lined up, my friend. We have one for sure next week, maybe a second guest. That's still up in the air, so I'm not going to mention that. But next week we will welcome back a guy we haven't had on in quite a while. He is a respected columnist for the Philly Inquirer and Philly.com who wrote a somewhat controversial piece last week saying home field advantage is vastly overrated, something of a myth, in fact, he implied, in terms of any significant advantage at the link. What? 
yeah, let's hope that the faithful at the link prove him wrong this weekend. But regardless, we will welcome Mike Sealski back to our show next week. Well, you know, that's interesting. I, I did get to read that article, and, and Mike's been known to send a couple controversial things out there. So uh, we'll, we'll have to hit him up with that and, and get, get his thoughts. Yeah, let's hope the Eagles give us some ammunition this weekend, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they've got to uh, they've got to play good enough that that it makes some difference, right? Yeah, and if they fall behind, you know, ten nothing or fourteen nothing, that's when the crowd will be tested. You bet. Wait, Chet. One other subject I wanted to hit you up on, and you didn't know anything about this, so I'm, I'm going to blindside you a little bit. What about the Phil's uh, broadcast team? They uh, they hired the Kevins, three of them. <laughs> three and, Kevins. Uh, three the, Kevins. The three Kevins are going to rotate in with that Scott Fransky doing radio. Uh, how how do you feel about that? Do you like? Obviously, LA was a was kind of a different kind of cat and uh, was a pretty good radio guy. Uh, how do, you, how do you feel about not having continuity on games? I think that's the thing I'm, I'm going to miss the most. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to miss L.A. I thought they were just so great together. I, I heard Kevin Jordan fill in a few times last year. He was okay, but I don't remember him being great. And I think Franson also filled in a few times. And, again, I can't remember if he was great or not, so that's not a good sign. Um, Kevin Stalker, you know, Okay. None of the names are very exciting. Let's hope they do an okay job. It just proves that it takes three guys to replace one Larry Anderson. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I thought that was a real interesting hire, seeing those three guys. And uh, I didn't know certainly know who they were going to hire. Jason Stark sounded like a, a great one to me. But uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, I, I always like listening to the ball game. Yeah, me too. Me too. All right. All right, Mr. Chesco, parting shot for you tonight, sir. Yeah. As many of you know, I'm not only a big sports fan, I'm also a huge movie fan. So it makes sense that I'm also a big fan of sports movies. Unfortunately, 2017 wasn't a great year for sports films. No Raging Bull, Hoosiers, Rocky, or Bull Durham. I guess Disney Pixar's Cars 3 about Lightning McQueen and other Piston Cup racers qualifies as a sports flick, but I'm not a NASCAR fan, so I had absolutely zero interest in an animated film about race cars. Molly's Game about real-life underground poker legend Molly Bloom is out now and getting some good buzz, but the topic didn't interest me enough to see that one. Back in 2011, there was a little scene, but very good hockey film called Goon. Well, there was a 2017 remake called Goon Last of the Enforcers, but it was nowhere near as good as the funny, violent original. That leaves three sports movies from the past year that I can recommend. Not a huge hit in the theaters last fall, but Battle of the Sexes about tennis legend Billie Jean King's much-hyped match against Bobby Riggs and about women's rights, did capture that early 1970s atmosphere and was actually pretty entertaining. Emma Stone and Steve Carell were both quite good, and the movie is now available on demand and on DVD. An even better film that unfortunately never found a big audience was the story about the real-life Rocky Chuck Wepner. 
Also set mostly in the 70s, that movie, Chuck, was extremely well done and it pulled no punches in detailing Wepner's shortcomings as a person, including his penchant for booze, drugs, and women. Liev Schreiber, great as Wepner. Do yourself a favor and rent Chuck. And if you count figure skating as a sport, you will absolutely enjoy I, Tanya. that's in theaters right now. The movie chronicles the wildlife of Tanya Harding and, of course, that little pre-Olympics drama involving Nancy Kerrigan and Harding. The movie is funny and apparently pretty true to life, and Margot Robbie as Harding and Golden Globe winner Allison Janney as her mother are both fantastic. There you go. All right, good stuff. Hey, with that, Chet, we've reached to the top of the hour. We've used up all of our time, so let's thank our special guests, Ray Didinger, Brian Finneran, Irish Rover Station House, and Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com for their continued support of the show. For Jim Chet Chesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, January 17th at 7 p.m. when Mike Sielski joins us. You can listen through our website, phillypressboxradio.com, our Facebook page, or on the Internet, at www.blogtalkradio.com slash Radio. High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans, and go Birds! E-S-E!